Hello friends, this is the AlphaList Podcast. I am your host, Toby. The goal of the AlphaList Podcast is to empower CTOs with the info and insight they need to make the best decisions for their company. We do this by hosting top thought leaders and picking their brains for insights into technical leadership and tech trends. If you believe in the power of accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Plus, if you're an experienced CTO, you will love the discussion happening in our Slack space where over 600 CTOs are sharing insights or visit one of our events. Just go to alphalist.com to apply. This podcast is proudly presented by Instafo. They bring us the future of tech recruiting with their platform specifically designed for tech and engineering. Finding the right talent has never been easier. Instafo's innovative matching is fed by a proprietary database with over 100,000 verified tech talent profiles, ensuring that only the most suitable candidates land in your pipeline. This leads to three times the application to hire rate compared to traditional job portals. At Instafo, they value your time. That's why the process is quick and straightforward, featuring direct chat for informal and efficient dialogue with potential candidates, eliminating lengthy processes and ghosting. Trusted by over 1,800 companies like HelloFresh and Amazon and celebrated in over 500 reviews with almost five stars on Trustpilot, Omar and Google, Instafos stands as a leader in tech recruiting. Exclusive for AlphaList CTO listeners, try Instafo for free for six months at instafo.com slash CTO. Payment only upon successful hire. Experience the difference with Instafo where top tech talent meets innovative recruiting. Visit instafo.com slash CTO now. Welcome to the Alphalist Podcast. I am your host, Toby, and today with me is Charles Gorantin. Um, Charles, did I pronounce it correctly? <laughs> you can say Gorantin, you can say Gorantin, everything works. Gorantin. <laughs> and um, he's the co-founder of um, a company called Allen, um, an insurance company. Um, and he actually lives in France, as the name suggests. Um, and um, he has a very interesting history um, he was actually working as a data science leader in fast-growing social networks, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, and, uh, well, I would say, I, I thought about this, he's kind of part of the French Silicon Valley mafia, I'd, I'd like to call you. Um, and um, I already had uh, Olivier Bonnet um, and uh, Frédéric Rivin. Um, who, who both on the podcast, and, and they, they, I would count them in. I don't know if I miss someone uh, in that in that French Silicon Valley mafia. Do I? Uh, there's so many people now. Like there's really <laughs> something brewing in Paris. That's uh, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Another thing that is um, public about you is your is your salary. So you earn 140k a year because you have a salary. Uh, benchmark published for your company, uh, which which I find interesting and maybe a topic we touch today. Plus, I, I hope like a few um, options in addition or, uh, well, you're a co-founder, so I, I think you even have the shares, you don't need the options. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, maybe you can tell us like quickly, uh, what does Alan do? Um, 
because it it might not be known um, to to all of my listeners at least. Um, and then, yeah, happy to dive in. Uh, you you have such an amazing profile. I mean, you you have three master degrees, uh, which I'd like to briefly touch, etc. So you're like an uh, yeah an amazing guy. I'm really happy to have you here. But maybe we start with Alan. Yeah, definitely. So Alan is basically an ambition. It's uh, the ambition to change the way people live their health. And so uh, we could have gone like with ma like many uh, other companies uh, trying to build uh, tools to help people uh, go to the doctor or anything. And that's actually what we wanted to do at the beginning. But then we realized that the world is actually littered with that kind of companies that try to do something in health. And ultimately we realized that We wanted to, um, we needed to build the infrastructure, the block that could uh, then be used to uh, to create that kind of company. So uh, we started a health insurance company uh, in France first and now in, in Spain and Belgium. But basically we became the first new uh, insurance in France since like 1986 uh, with my co-founder who weren't born even at that time. So... Uh, that was kind of crazy, and uh, and then like basically we we're covering health insurance for for five hundred thousand people in uh, in wow. those three countries um, with three hundred fifty million uh, annual recurring revenue. Uh, still, how much? Three hundred fifty million. 350 million. So I actually checked a video. Uh, I think it was four years old. There it was 25 million. So uh, yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Not so bad. Um, and I'm normally, I'm, I'm from the SaaS world, but insurance is even better than SaaS, right? I mean, you have very stable uh, subscription revenues, I, I assume. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, the, the, the only uh, trouble for, for insurance is that you're not sure what people are going to be consuming. So like, The yeah. margins are not that stable. Like uh, you have to to work a lot on it to to be able to actually forecast them and uh, and make sure that they they stay stable. And 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 that is your specialty, or so that, that's actually something that I can and knew how to do. So I studied a little bit <laughs> of financial engineering. So I had like a few notions on that, but I had to relearn everything. Uh, because like I didn't know anything about insurance. My co-founder didn't know anything about insurance. Uh, we didn't know much about health, uh, and so we we just had to relearn every, everything. But that's to me that's uh, the the strong um, uh, the really what makes the difference for entrepreneurs is to be able to learn a new trade and be able to make a difference there. Okay, and and that's what you obviously are able to. Otherwise, you wouldn't have that um, subscription revenue that you have. Um, so, uh, congratulations again. Um, and and how was that like coming from Twitter? Um, I think that was your last stop before um, moving to insurances, and then moving into insurance. It's like from from like a totally unregulated market to one that is a bit heavier uh, like how was that for that's you that's right that that was an interesting challenge i mean uh, i was very lucky to partner with uh, with my co-founder jean-charles samuelian who basically had worked in one of the only more regulated uh, industries than insurance 
he was making airplane seats. Uh, he had started a company that did the world's lightest airplane seats and was uh, flying on uh, on a few companies. Uh, but uh, and so, like he knew how to navigate a really regulated environment. What I knew was... And, and, and he then said, yeah, let's do something easy. Let's move from airplane seats to health insurance. Yay! That's right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, I mean, like, that's the thing that's super interesting is that things that seem to be easy, they're actually really hard because you have a lot of people doing them. And to make a difference, you have to be really, really good and really lucky. Whereas if you are working on something super hard, there's low-hanging fruit everywhere. Like... People who have been doing this have been doing it like for like 30, 50, 100 years and like they've not changed their ways. So it's super easy to bring in new technology and actually make a difference. And uh, and I think that's what we tried to do with Alan. Okay. Um, it sounds sounds very appealing. Uh, on the other end, um, I, I can imagine that it's also hard for the others to like then collaborate with you, or for the regulators to collaborate with you if you're like fully digital, um, and and have a totally different perspective, right? But if you have the the, the good a good groundwork, um, then that will also work out. I, I so see. that that was actually an interesting uh, thing. We we came at a point where France was trying to modernize itself. Uh, basically, there was like uh, President Macron who was uh, getting elected. Uh, there was like a lot of uh, rebirth, renaissance of the, of the French tech ecosystem. And uh, all the regulators were really trying to change the way they've been, uh, they had been working. So they were willing to engage with us. And we, we were also like willing to engage with them. We tried to match really well the the way they were doing. We were uh, we had hired a couple of people who had worked at the regulator, which kind uh, of helped mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with the um, mm -hmm. with the communication and uh, and basically then we we used the regulation not as a uh, hurdle for us, but actually as an uh, instruction manual to basically. Uh, look at what we need to build to make sure that we uh, fit in the regulation, uh, and and that's super super powerful. Like the the way you usually do when you work in tech, and I didn't know that like before I moved back to France to start a company. Uh, it's like okay, there's regulation. I'm gonna stay as far as possible from uh, that red line. Whereas uh, what we found out was. If you know really well where the red line is, you can actually play with it. And sometimes you can actually move it because people who put that red line, like they're actually constructive in their mindset. They actually want you to succeed, but to succeed in a way that preserves uh, the interests of your customers, basically. Yeah, okay. Um, sounds sounds appealing. Like <laughs> I can imagine, like I, I build a house right now, and I have a I have a bit of of, of a huge touch points with, with regulators or um, the government, let's say, and that's really hard. I, I can imagine that you also had moments when you weren't so happy about it, but um, yeah, <laughs> that's rather not touch it, that. It actually it actually happened that uh, we had some moments where we're not we were not happy about it, and what we did was. We went to the regulators and we tell them that regulation is not that great. 
and that doesn't allow us to build something that's benefiting our customers. So maybe we should consider changing the interpretation of the law or changing the law. Mm. And that actually and that works. And we, we actually did that wow. on, on certain things. Like it was not possible for uh, people with uh, insurance uh, contracts to change uh, uh, more often than once a year. And uh, we changed that because it didn't make sense. Okay. Um, but we're a tech podcast. Yeah. So let's maybe um, quickly touch your three masters. So you, I think you, you have a master in math, a master in machine learning, and a master in financial engineering, which you already mentioned. Like, why? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm interested in a lot of things. Uh, it's just, I'm very curious. <laughs> and basically, Artificial intelligence. Uh, I think I was a little bit early at the at the time when I went through that masters. Uh, people were telling us that uh, neural networks it's a technology that doesn't work, will never work. So don't bother learning that. Mm -hmm. I think they were quite wrong because, like, just a year later, like uh, the AlexNet uh, paper actually came out and. Uh, And deep learning was uh, was born, uh, but uh, but I had like uh, the the foundations of uh, of AI, which uh, was pretty interesting. And then I was super interested in uh, in fine, finance and uh, and understanding how it, how it worked. And so I moved to uh, to California to to Berkeley to study that. And uh, and and funny enough, I never worked in in finance after that. I actually went to work for for Facebook. And uh, and that had nothing to do with finance. No financial engineering needed. Um, I think one important aspect is also that your 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 co-founder or founding advisor of uh, Mistral, um, the 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 French LLM, right? Um, That's right. What what brought you there? Yeah. So to, to just quickly touch it. It was it was a super interesting story. Uh, basically, we we realized with Alan. Uh, that we had uh, a long-term opportunity with uh, with AI. Uh, basically, back in uh, in 2022, uh, I was feeling that something was brewing in the AI, AI world, and uh, decided to give up all my duties as a CTO of Alan and uh, focus solely on AI. So, for the past uh, two years, I've been working almost solely on AI. Uh, and basically, what uh, what I did first was to retrain myself because, as I told you, <laughs> I didn't know anything about neural networks because I was uh, not well advised at the time. Uh, but uh, but then I retrained myself on that, and I realized how much it could impact uh, our business. So, and also I realized that uh, if we didn't move on AI in Europe. We would just be uh, using American uh, tools, and uh, we would be using OpenAI forever. Uh, and I was like, maybe we can do better than that. So I started working uh, on a paper with my co-founder Jean Charles, uh, saying that we have the talent in Europe, we have the means to actually build a great champion for Europe in uh, in the foundational models for AI world. Uh, and in fact, like ChatGPT had just come out and uh, and we were 
um, we were seeing that there was a strategy to actually build that kind of uh, of company. So, and the strategy would be to leverage the power of open source to actually counterposition that uh, that company uh, versus OpenAI versus Google versus Meta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. the only thing that we were missing were like the people actually doing it. Uh, and in fact, mm-hmm. we got super lucky to actually meet. Uh, with re- three really talented people, Arthur Mensch, Guillaume Lampre, and uh, Timothée Lacroix, who are basically part of the top 50 uh, people training uh, large language models in, uh, in the world. And, uh, and we presented them our strategy and we were like, let's build that company together. And it, we told them, you're going to be the founders. You're going to have the huge majority of the of the shares. Uh, what we only want is that a champion emerges. We can uh, give you, uh, we, we can lend you our gravitas as entrepreneur. We can teach you how to build the, the most performant company uh, in the world. And uh, you're going to be able to build the, the best models in the world. So let's do it. And so... We created that company in uh, in May uh, 2023, uh, raised 100 million uh, euros at the time. Uh, the first models came out in uh, September uh, 2023. Uh, so Mistral 7B, which is still one of the leading models today. Uh, December, we, we launched uh, Mixtral, which is a mixture of experts, which is also open sourced with and um, and which is the the leading model in uh, in open source, and raised the uh, four hundred million uh, euros. And I really think that w- that company can make a difference and build AI for the long term. Uh, okay, so you basically uh, co-founded two 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 unicorns at least, right? Um, if if not more, <laughs> no, I don't think. It. I don't think I can uh, I, I can sp- have enough time to actually work on more than that. <laughs> okay, that's crazy. And do you every once in a while like meet them and advise them, or like are you? How much are you involved? I, I'm I'm completely non-operational. I, I don't train the models uh, myself, but we're hosting them. Well, okay, <laughs> that would have been too much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But- we we actually host them in our in our. Uh, in our in our offices at Alan and uh, and we we meet with them like uh, very very often so okay. we see each other quite quite often. Cool, cool, crazy. Um, but 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 coming back to yourself, um, and 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 then to 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 Alan and your history. Um, so when did you personally discover that you that you're going to be a nerd? Like, what was your your personal nerd journey before you studied all that, et cetera, et cetera? Was there like a a key moment in your life where you said, "Ah, well, <laughs> I can, I I want to program"? Or I I think I was born like that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> it's it's hard to to actually say like where where it comes from. I mean, like, I feel like I'm the most uh, technical of the non-technical people, and I'm the least technical of the CTOs. Uh, I, I like to program, but like, I don't think I've never been a software engineer. Uh, I was a data scientist, so like, I had I didn't have like 
uh, a great um, like background in software engineering. I'm not the best at coding uh, in the, in the team, and it's actually been like a super great uh, asset for me as a CTO. In fact, mm-hmm. like uh, I believe it's super hard to hire uh, people who are better than you if you're really really good at what you do. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the the great thing is that I wasn't that great, so I could hire people, and those people were not like feeling like they had like some kind of uh, of glass ceiling uh, above them. I was just hiring people that I found really good, better than me, and uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and together we could build things that uh, that were amazing. So, uh, yeah, that doesn't. Really so su- summing it up, you just know little IPython notebooks and and Python and <laughs> and pandas and 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 then uh, that's how how you add your secret sauce and the best is to, uh, like your recipe to success is just to hire people that are better than you. Or? Yeah, I mean, like uh, ultimately in the. In the beginning of Alan, I actually had to code on the on the production stack and and do a bunch of things, but like I still wasn't that great. So I quickly fired myself from that role and uh, moved <laughs> on to to other things that I was better, like uh, building organizations and culture. and uh, And I think uh, I think we did pretty well at that. Is that a lot inspired by the U.S. companies you 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 worked for uh, when you were part of the Silicon Valley mafia? Or? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like I think it's the things that I've learned, uh, especially at Facebook, were so important for me to be able to build like a company. Like the the first thing that that I've learned at Facebook was that. Um, it's super important to be able to iterate fast. Like, no matter what you do, if you can uh, try uh, 10 times when your uh, competitor is only trying once, it's very likely that you're going to have at least one of your trials that has, that is going to be better than uh, the other people who, who do it only once. So that, mm-hmm. uh, that was in the, in the wording of... Uh, Uh, of Facebook that was uh, move fast and break things. Like basically it made Mm -hmm. more sense to go really fast and take the risk of like breaking something. But if you can fix it super fast, it's actually much better than going slow, making sure that you don't break anything. And ultimately you just go slowly. So that really, that culture was uh, really important for me. Uh, and there was a huge culture of transparency and uh, and openness uh, at Facebook that I really liked, and I tried to bake it in uh, into the culture of Alan. And at the same time, my my co-founder Jean Charles, I had uh, already built a company, so he knew all the mistakes not to do uh, in building a, a company from scratch. And so, by merging uh, those two knowledges. Uh, we we were able to to build something quite unique, I think. Okay, but but what what else was important? I mean, move fast and break things. Yes, everyone knows that poster from Facebook. Like, but, but what what else? What what is the more, like what 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 are your best kept secrets um, on 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 how on what you learned? Um, yeah, I mean, like I, I talked a tiny bit about uh, transparency. It's like if um, and uh, and the fact that 
nothing is yours, basically. Like there was something really great at Facebook, which was that uh, you could go and uh, and touch the code of others. Like nothing was hidden between teams. Like uh, you were encouraged to actually fix bugs in uh, others' code, and they would like review your your pull request. And but ha- having that uh, fluidity. Uh, in the company was super important. Like they had things like um, the the bootcamp. Uh, basically, when you you start, uh, at least uh, that was the case ten years ago uh, when I was at Facebook. When you start, you spend six weeks uh, working across the company in different teams for like a week or so at a time, and you and you get to know people across the company. And that network actually becomes very useful uh, later on because uh, it breaks down silos between uh, parts of the company. It creates like points of contact for you. Like, oh yeah, I've worked with that guy in that department, so I can actually ask him to do uh, that little task for me that will make our project much easier. And having that uh, that movement within the company is actually like something that's that's really great and uh, and creates a lot of value for for the companies uh and they had that thing called the uh, hacker month also basically where you could um you could decide to take a break from your team for one month and try to work on another team and if that didn't work then uh you would go back to your team but if you really liked it over there then you would stay and basically, it mm-hmm. uh, it allowed to create a lot more movement and reduce the risk of having that movement within the teams. And I think it's the the city of uh, of Facebook at the time, Shrap, that was saying that um, Facebook is set up to work at ninety percent capacity in terms of engineering, uh, basically to allow that movement to that rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Internal mobility. Exactly. And and, and 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 you offer that as well um, now, or um, you, you're based in France essentially, and but you also have other offices, etc. Like, do people really, like really physically move, or is it all, I don't know, uh, virtual, containerized, uh, and 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 just happening remotely? So yeah, I mean, like uh, like many uh, companies since uh, 2020, we we've changed our way to. Uh, to uh, our approach to work. Basically, what we decided to do is uh, tell people that they can work wh- whenever they like, wherever they like. Uh, so basically, like you can work from wherever you, wherever you want. So th- that means that there's no physical teams uh, in, in any place. But then you can actually change teams. We, we went really far that, that way. We, we used to uh, break down teams like every three months uh, and just recombine the whole company. Uh, we thought it would make us like uh, much more uh, flexible and uh, and faster. But then we also realized that it had a cost. Like there's friction every time you you actually move people. Um, and then, but but uh, but then having that. Uh, we we find I think the, the balance where we actually try to break down teams uh, quite often, but not as often as uh, every three months. 
Okay, okay. Um, and and um, beforehand you mentioned uh, transparency, and that was also a topic I wanted wanted to touch as as your your salary is public, etc. And even your 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 ESOP model or your 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 um, share distribution, let's say. Um, Uh, there, there's a system of levels that you introduced. Um, so the founders are basically on top, uh, as in many companies, and then you have levels from I don't know A I to A 1 and even A 0 intern, etc. Like how how are the levels structured, and uh, where do you set the the expectations um, towards each of the levels? Um, how how is that structured? Is that also public or? Yeah, everything is public. Uh, basically, what we try to do is have that radical transparency, uh, and we we did it for the for our our, um, our salaries uh, grid. Uh, basically, we every everybody knows from the outside and from the inside how much everybody makes, uh, and we've mm -hmm. created that grid uh, before we we even had a, a single employee in the team. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, and that actually has a lot of benefits. Basically, you can have people uh, not gossiping about the salary of uh, of others uh, because everybody knows everything. So you you don't even have to try to guess. And that's like a lot of wasted time in companies where like they try to guess how much uh, people are making. People are jealous and everything. Like transparency removes all that. Uh, there's another thing that uh, that uh, another great benefit is that everything that we do has to be has to be fair, or we have to explain uh, what we do because everything is transparent. Uh, we we can't say like, okay, that guy is really good. We really want uh, to have that person uh, on our team, so I'm I'm gonna bump his salary or her salary uh, 40%, 50%. No, we can't do that. Uh, we have that fixed grid. We have definition for the levels. And so that uh, forces us to be really fair to everyone and to actually judge people on the quality of their work rather than on how much we like them when, uh, when they interviewed. Uh, and and how much subjectiveness is involved in the in the level finding? Like which level am I on? Like uh, how clear are the are the the the, the, the boundaries? How how clear are the expectations? It's, it's always subjective. I mean, like it's really hard to actually remove yeah. all subjectivity. But what we try to do is um, is make sure that all of this is, is public. So we have. Um, A performance review cycle uh, every six months, where basically you have like months, okay. a 360 review by people uh, around you uh, that uh, that give you that give you feedback and that say, okay, are you at the next level or are you not? And basically, based on that, we 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 then decide uh, if you if your level is getting reviewed and if you are able to to go to the next level. And that uh, all those performance reviews are also very transparent, in the sense that I get uh, I get a performance review uh, from the people that I worked with, and uh, mm -hmm. and everything they say is public to everyone. So okay, everybody can audit everything that happens in the company, 
And that is super powerful because if anything is broken, we know about it and we can fix it. Mm -hmm. Understood. And do you use like a certain tool for that or is it all like just written feedback somewhere or like how, how does that work? For, for the performance reviews, we, we use a tool uh, called uh, Lattice. Uh, oh yeah, I know which that. Was, uh, yeah. yeah, founded okay. by Jack Altman. Um, and, uh, and in general, like all the decisions that we make at Alan are actually transparent, like everything. Uh, and we're 500 people in the in the company, uh, so mm -hmm. if you if we have to to decide on a very strategic topic, we open a GitHub uh, discussion about it, and uh, everybody in the a group, GitHub discussion really we know about <laughs> it. Like it can be in sales, it can be something like uh, very remote from engineering. Everybody's on GitHub, and we make okay this, really and, yeah. Uh, that's cool, and, uh, and and people really use that and and fully acknowledge it, yeah. or like everyone is on that. If, everyone understands it is is using that's it. That's right. Yeah. If if a decision is not made over there, like it's it's not happening. This episode is brought to you by Do It. As the cloud landscape has evolved, so have its challenges. The shift from adopting to optimizing public cloud infrastructure has forced born-in-the-cloud digital natives to grapple not only with growing technical complexities, but also the details of cost management and evolving best practices. Dewood addresses these challenges head-on with an intelligent product portfolio and market-leading cloud expertise that equips engineering and finance teams to understand cloud costs in the context of their business, maximizing savings with minimal effort and make costs more predictable. Need help optimizing your cloud cost? Visit link.alphalist.com cloud to schedule a meeting with a Dewood expert to learn about gaining access to Dewood's FinOps and infrastructure specialists. Okay. So and and yes and your salary framework is also in GitHub, so I can fork it. Uh, can I can I fork your culture? <laughs> no, I mean like that that uh, uh, the salary. I don't know if it's actually in the <laughs> in uh, on, on GitHub. Like, but the all the decisions we make are like uh, public within the company, not uh, public to the outside. No public repos then. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, uh, but there's something really deep about this is that uh, we're getting into the, the world of, uh, of LLMs and AI. And we have that thing of, where we, we do everything in writing at, at Alan. And everything is transparent. Mm -hmm. So there's no like private discussions within the company. So that means that if you're using an AI tool that can actually go through your knowledge, in the company, you can actually uh, use that AI tool to uh, get digest, to get summaries of what's going on and what you, you want to, to know. And you don't have to care about, does that person uh, need to know that little thing uh, or not? Like every, everything is, uh, is public by default. So it's super easy to actually implement that kind of knowledge uh, sharing tool. So you have a Slack bot uh, that I can ask for your salary, for example? Exactly. Uh, I can ask for okay. salary. Really? I can ask for like, uh, who are the people who got uh, their level reviewed uh, last uh, last cycle? Why did Tobias get a raise? <laughs> exactly. I mean, like you could legit legitimately ask that. 
takes really? a lot of time in the company. Can imagine. Yeah. And um, it's all fed by markdown files that people write in GitHub repositories and Google spreadsheets and whatever. Or yeah. So basically, the 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 way we uh, we handle this. Uh, is we, we believe that our knowledge has uh, three parts. Uh, basically, the uh, the important decisions that we make on uh, GitHub discussions. And uh, and I'm able to go back to uh, 2016 to see all the, the decisions that we made and why we made them, which is super, super important. It's super great when, uh, I don't know if you know that uh, that idea of the barrier of Chesterton, uh, but basically, like, you see... Uh, You see a, a fence in a in in a field. Uh, how do you know if you can remove the remove it safely? Because maybe there's a ball on the other side, right? Uh, and by having that transparency over all the the decisions that we've ever made, like we can understand why we made those decisions, and so we can revert them, and that removes a lot of uh, the craft, a lot of the of the things that make a company basically uh, uh, stagnate ultimately because there's mm -hmm. too many rules that mm -hmm. people don't understand. Mm -hmm. um, where was I going? Uh, so I guess every board meeting is documented there as well. You can always... Okay. The, the whole team actually has the, the access to the notes of the board meetings, for example. Okay. Um, I have a follow-up question. What, 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 what's your team structure? I mean, you you put up all the levels, um, etc. It's quite transparent. You hire really good people, I guess. That's also what I learned. Um, how, how do you think about like I don't know mid-level management? Do you have team leads? How, how is the company structured apart from that? Do you use the Spotify model or <laughs> something fancy? Fancy? Or? We use the Allen model in the sense that. The Allen model. <laughs> we 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 try to uh, to deconstruct the role of the manager. Basically, uh, we we believe that uh, you shouldn't be uh, directing a project, leading a project at the same time as you are uh, actually trying to uh, grow the people in your team, uh, because like there's a confusion of the role. There's like something. Uh, People who uh, who you are leading don't necessarily want to be super open about uh, about how they feel, about how like they've not been uh, able to work really well this week because this and that. Like it's super hard to open like that to a manager. So we decided to actually deconstruct that and and uh, and re and have like leads on one side, and each person in the company has a coach within the company. And that person is not the same. Like you, you have the lead on your project, and you then have uh, somebody is coaching you, and it actually works super well. We have a company. Uh, we have a, a community of 90 engineers in the company, and within that 90, 90, yeah, nine zero, uh, and we only have uh, four people doing having some kind of a. Um, organization role. Like mm -hmm. in in any company, you you'd see many engineering managers and everything. But for us, like we only have four for 90 people. Okay. 
And everyone is a coach for a few other people right. or? Yeah. Okay. Um, interesting. And if you had a company with where, where like maybe there are like a few natural silos, like maybe different business units or something, would you do it the same these days? Yeah. I mean, the, we, we continue doing that. So yeah, that works. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I mean, you maybe ha don't, don't have that many silos. Uh, you're working on one, one combined goal, one joint goal uh, as a company. We, if you had different goals, what, what, what do you, what, you have silos? Yeah, okay. We have many, <laughs> many goals and we, we've actually, uh, okay. basically we, we have that insurance uh, thing. Then we have all the services in health that we have to build uh, to actually make the health of people better. Uh, mm -hmm. The work is quite different uh, from one uh, to another. And so we still have those, uh, those, the, we have that, those silos, as you call them, uh, but mm -hmm. that model st still works, actually. And, and um, so if I join, then I get a coach assigned randomly, or can I select someone, or how does it work? We, we usually try to uh, make a match between like personalities and, uh, and in terms of like having uh, levels that are not too far from one, one another. Like if I coach like somebody really uh, junior, I'm not going to be able to give them the chops technically. Uh, whereas like, I think I'm going to be a pretty good coach for somebody really senior because I can then give mm -hmm. them like ideas on how to structure, uh, structure work, the work and structure the, the project. Okay. Um, and do you then have like planned coaching sessions or yeah. is that quite free, the format or how does that work? So it's, it's mandatory, uh, that every two weeks, uh, people have a one-on-one -on -one with their, with the people on the team, uh, with the people, mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're coaching actually. Um, and, uh, and, and it's, uh, it's time that's, uh, reserved for, for the people who are coached and we, we give a lot of, uh, of tools for both the coach and the coachee to actually make that time very productive. And then we grade the, co oh. the coaches as well. Okay, so you get, I, I basically get an invitation every second week automatically or am I supposed to schedule something or how does that work? Yeah, you, 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 you I mean, you, you can schedule the, them, but like everybody does it. That's uh, something. Yeah. And they really do it, and then, uh, like you, you get a pulse afterwards, and or yeah. or a survey, or, or you you get an, a regular email like every second week. How how is your coach been doing? Or no, no, it's like it every six months we we ask you about your coach and uh, is the relationship okay. really working out and uh, do how you generate value from it, etc. Exactly. Okay. And uh, when when did you introduce it? Like, is it from the start from the, as well, or yeah? Okay. And uh, and the interesting thing is that with LLMs and AI, basically, uh, now it's easier than ever to actually prepare uh, one-on-ones uh, because basically you pass uh, you pass down your notes and uh, you ask an LLM to actually uh, generate interesting questions. And at the same time, we, we can now like record the notes uh, just uh, with uh, speech to text and. Uh, and have summaries shared out. And, and so it really increases the quality of those one-on-ones. Uh, -on uh, okay. But do, do you use a certain system? I mean, you use Mistral, I guess, for, for as, as the LLM. Um, 
But then behind it is it's all Google Workspace, like all digital native companies or, or Slack or whatever, and something magic in addition. Or? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's no, it's nothing magic. It's we're we're using a Notion. We're using a, a tool called Dust uh, that is actually. Uh, um, basically, the platform that, uh, that that allows you to uh, to use the, your company's data uh, to basically query uh, query it and have assistance uh, to help you do things. So, for example, like make a summary. Uh, it's really good mm -hmm. like that. Dust. Okay, and that's connected to to Google and automatically takes transcripts as well for, of every meeting. Or uh, I don't think they do the transcript yet. Uh, for that, we'd use another uh, tool called Gladia uh, to to make those trans transcripts. But uh, it's uh, okay. it works quite well. Yeah. Okay, and and people enjoy that. Like, there's no one who feels. I don't know. Is every meeting content also published? No. I guess not, no. right? No. Like, if I have a coaching session, then that's just between us, and that's right. And but we automatically get that transcript. Like every participant automatically yeah. gets the transcript, or, or what? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I mean it's quite quite transparent, but I, I guess that's how the future is, right? It is. Um, it, like, it's the only thing that makes sense at the end. Um, I think so. I mean, like, yeah, I mean. It makes sense for us. Uh, there's probably uh, some companies where it doesn't make as much sense. Like, uh, for example, if you're working with uh, uh, with like really important trade secrets or, or whatever. Like, for example, for Mistral, it doesn't make as much sense to to do uh, exactly the same. Uh, and even for us at Alan, uh, there's like a limit to what we can do. Um, basically, like anything that uh, relates to member data, like we can't be transparent about it. So Absolutely. there's a lot of uh, of privacy uh, measures that we have to to actually uh, make sure that that data cannot be consulted by uh, by people who are not authorized. No, no personal health record in in GitHub. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Understood. That makes sense. Um, how does responsibility work like in in, uh, in in your? How does that look like in your in your model? So it's it's interesting. Yeah. So we have that value of uh, distributed ownership. Uh, basically, we we want to make sure that it's the people who do that decide. And so uh, what we what we've done, for example, with those GitHub discussions even like the really important decisions, it's always the person who opens the uh, discussion who actually makes the decision at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, which is really empowering if you think about it. Like I can come uh, to a, a discussion and say, okay, I actually think that uh, uh, you should take into account this and this and that. And uh, my opinion is that we shouldn't do it. And that person can say, Okay, I've read your thing. I've taken your advice into account, but actually, we're gonna do it, and uh, and I can't say no to that. And, and I think it's uh, it's really powerful because it pushes the the whole company to actually take risks and um, and make bets. I mean, ultimately, we actually expect people to be right uh, a lot of <laughs> a big percentage of the time. Like if you. If you take your responsibility uh, many times and you're wrong every time, like you're not going to last long in the company. But we believe that 
you should make those decisions. You should make those bets. Sounds, sounds a bit like the Netflix culture, um, I, I think, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, like, it's it's part of those uh, companies that uh, inspired us. Like, uh, I think that uh, a famous uh, culture deck uh, was really something that we leaned uh, onto, and uh, and also like the books, like the No Rules Rules and stuff like that. I think are uh, like amazing to build a culture. It's basically making sure that people are incentivized to do the right thing that rather than uh, putting rules so that they uh, maybe do the right thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you said like, uh, if you do the same mistake like 10 times, uh, you're, you're out. How does that work in, in France? Like, I mean, in, in the US, it's, it, it might be a bit easier, right? Um, uh, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's not like in France you you can't uh, part ways with someone. Like, yeah, sometimes you have to pay a little bit more money. Than you have to pay for it yeah. in the US, <laughs> but ultimately it's a contract, and uh, and the idea is to make sure that uh, we have like a super good team and uh, we build the the best products. Like one of the concepts that's super important for us is talent density. We And that's actually something that we stole from Netflix. Uh, but basically, we really believe that um, in order to be high-performing, you need to be surrounded by high-performance. Um, if you have some someone who's really not that great in your team, it it will drag the whole team down. And so that's why we really insist on uh, performance. We really insist on transparency. And we will do anything that we can to make sure that you can increase your performance. But ultimately, if that doesn't work, like you're not going to be happy uh, being a low performer uh, in a high-performance team. Uh, mm-hmm. The team is not going to be happy. The business is going to be not going to be happy. So... Why continue? Uh, we prefer mm. for you to find a context where you're going to be like super perform- high performing rather than like uh, stick to something that truly doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And um, how, how do you identify uh, low performance in the first place to, through the, 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 performance the reviews. six month cycles or yeah. performance reviews? Ba- and- basically, like uh, people give their, their grades and like if if uh, somebody is not uh, performing performing well, that that can be seen, and like we can have that hard discussion, uh, and mm-hmm. we'll do whatever we can so that they will actually perform. But if we see that it's unlikely that uh, it will happen, like we prefer to stop. We prefer to do whatever we can to find uh, a good uh, landing for that person in another another company in another context where they will be able to express themselves uh, at the maximum. Mm-hmm. And, and do you have like a secret question uh, that you, you're, you're, you're exposing now, like uh, name one low performer that you know in the company or something, or is that? Like... No, no, we don't, we, we don't do that. Uh, but we, <laughs> okay, we, good. <laughs> we try to push people to be really candid and really direct in the way they uh, they give feedback, because like it's feedback that makes you better. Uh, and usually we part ways with people who cannot uh, take action on feedback, 
who either on behavior or like on performance. Be, because like if we repeat that many ways, like ultimately it's not going to build uh, a very uh, sane and uh, and healthy team, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in hiring, um, do you have anything like I don't know? personality tests or or something that you add as a secret sauce or is it just like a very rigid uh, hiring process where you really make sure that you only hire the best of the best or how, how do you make sure that you do that yeah so so what we what we do is we have like uh, a pretty uh, exhaustive process I would say so basically we we have like uh, a screening uh, then we Uh, send questions uh, to be answered uh, in a written way because we work uh, in a written way. Uh, technical interview. Uh, then we we try to see uh, what the person can bring to Allen's culture. And ultimately, we, we do uh, something that we call the Allen Day, basically where you can spend a day with us and, uh, and see if you would be happy working in that kind of environment. And mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's both like for us to know if we want to work with you, but also for you to know if you want to work with us. And I think both sides, it's uh, it's su- super important. And um, and ultimately, like we try to ask the the hard questions, like make sure that uh, people know where they get they're getting into, and that transparency about our culture, about the way we do things, mm-hmm. it actually helps a lot to make sure that uh, people don't, uh, like somebody who would love to be in meetings all day uh, would not be happy at Alan. And I don't think we would be happy with that person either. So it's better if we have uh, that sorted out before the person actually joins the team that, rather than go through a painful uh, parting ways process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, you don't like meetings. Um, I, I also like. Um, I always like to do a prep call before the podcast, and you actually denied <laughs> and said, hey, "No meetings." <laughs> what, um, what, what? What's what's behind that? Like, do you really have no meetings, or do you have I don't know daily standups, or like how do you structure that? We, we yeah, we don't do meetings. Instead, we we do everything in writing, uh, mm-hmm. and it's actually like super super powerful for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. Like. Uh, Because AI can look through all of that, it really helps transparency. Like, no decision is be- taken behind closed doors, so like we can actually know and understand why and what uh, was taken as a uh, as decision, and so that way we can debug everything uh, in the company. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's actually really really powerful, uh, and at the same time, like we believe that. Uh, I don't know, eight people in a meeting that lasts an hour. It's like a full day of work of a person. So, and and we don't think that there's really high um, uh, bandwidth in in that kind of big meeting. What we encourage though is uh, people pairing for like, uh, with like two people, two people pairing, like then you can have like really high bandwidth and then you're not taking decisions. You're actually generating ideas. And your duty after that is actually to share uh, all the things that you've thought of with the rest in writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what people are also really do. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So we 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 don't do like any meeting that's uh, that's multiple people basically. And then, like, how do you create culture? I mean, you're partly remote, partly in different locations. Like, don't you have like an all hands or I don't know crazy time where people just meet and have a drink or? Do you do do you use like like huddles in Slack or something where like you really I don't know transport a bit of culture uh, which is not written or yeah, that's that's the thing that we try to do is uh, make sure that we do the work in the most efficient way like in a in a very uh, written way and we try to have a lot of uh, moments where we gather where we we're not uh, thinking about work where we. We spend time together, and that's where we create the culture. Uh, okay. And we we don't think that uh, meetings are meant to to be creating the culture. Okay, I understand. So you have like let's say every day four to six hours of deep work where I only write and code and uh, maybe do do like a few meetings with people I work together with, like only one person and then you write everything down and then you have like two hours to four hours of let's say fun time yeah. chilling out uh, lunch break etc yeah, that's right and like if you look okay. at my calendar just today i have like four hours of focus time and uh, i'm not wow. sure there's many cto's that can say that they have that kind of uh, of time and so that allows me to go deeper on problems and, uh, and topics and uh And really increases my uh, my output. And you have no one on ones. I have one on ones, yeah. yeah. Uh, but and the one on ones, uh, so so that's what you like. You you still have a concept of, uh, of 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 leadership. So you have a few people that report to you, and you meet them every second week. Um, or, or how does that work? So the people that I coach, like I don't tell them what to do. Like they. Sure. They have they decide on their own goals. Like uh, they, they write a GitHub discussion about their goals, and uh, I can contribute to their goals. But ultimately, they make the decision on what they want to work on. Uh, and like if they work on things that uh, don't have an impact, I'm going to tell them. If they really insist and continue working on that, like ultimately, maybe we're going to part ways. But like. Uh, most people don't want to part ways and they're actually going to work on things that matter. <laughs> okay. But um, you mentioned that you you differentiate between leadership and, and coaching, yeah. right? Um, so you still have people reporting to you um, and, and you also meet those or because now you only mentioned co co coaching? Yeah, not really. I mean, like there, there are some uh, leaders uh, who just lead, like, for example, like, Uh, we have a GM for France. Uh, we have some people who lead uh, projects, but we uh, I don't meet with them. Like we create uh, GitHub discussions and uh, and we discuss there, like for the plans. Okay, uh, but but I mean, every once in a while for social purposes, then or yeah, yeah. like you have to also get to know and create a, like a layer of trust. Ex exactly, we we have those events uh, that I was talking about, like that social events to to create bonds and uh, and everything and and i think those are like really essential and for example tomorrow we we're bringing the whole team to uh to do uh, uh, an offsite in paris and uh we're spending okay. a lot of time to 
prepare for all hands and uh, and I'm going to be the host and it's going to be a really fun uh, and it costs a lot of money for the company but I think it's really essential in a in a in a culture where people can work from wherever they want and when it's really rich. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I, I I get that. Um, if you now say uh, or you you now compare your culture against uh, Facebook, etc., and and you went through uh, a few years of, of of heavy lifting now, what are the three things that you would maybe do differently t today? Um, are there any, or do you straight away would would you straight away change them if you could? It's 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 super hard to answer that those kind of questions because it's like the butterfly effect. Like maybe you change one thing in the uh, initial uh, initial conditions, and ultimately, like it just, uh, collapses the whole system. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, would I change uh, anything? Uh, I mean, like, I would probably spend even uh, more time making sure that uh, we have like the a top notch uh, top notch team. I think like really having a really high quality team has so many benefits ultimately that uh, it it makes the the big difference there's always like things that we wish we would have done differently in the business but i don't i don't know that it matters uh, that much um is there one thing that i would have told my uh younger self i, I think One thing that I've learned that I think is super important is uh, to read more, uh, to read, uh, because like a lot of people have gone through a lot of things and uh, reading about that creates a lot of, val uh, uh, of value because then you can try them uh, and you can create your own theory of like why they work and why they, they don't work. Uh, ultimately, it's also about trying things about doing things uh, i'm really i'm a big believer in the concept of verum factum uh, basically that uh, what you the truth is in what you build uh, and that you can only know the truth if, if you actually try it and uh, and it's great to have like theories and it's great to have like all those um, those ideas but ultimately if you tried If you see what works, then you you get much uh, much more uh, much smarter, basically, and ultimately, it allows you to um, it it, it uh, like basically like if you can iterate and do uh, it ten times, ultimately we, you're gonna have like a better company. Okay, thanks a lot. You killed my outro question, <laughs> uh, but but it was a very good answer. I like that. Um, th thanks for for being on my podcast, and um, I hope to see you soon uh, in whatever scenario. Maybe <laughs> uh, looking looking forward to what you do next. Uh, like what what the f third unicorn could be uh, that that uh, that you you kind of co-found. I think I think there's <laughs> way too much work to still do to to build like great companies out of Allen and Mistral. So I, I don't think there's gonna be like <laughs> other ones. Uh, but yeah, I mean even Mistral is a good building block for for whatever you 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 want to do in the future. That's right. right. That's right. 
Thank you so much, Tobias, for having me on your podcast. Uh, thanks a lot and hope to see you soon. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Arcelist podcast. If you like this episode, share it with friends. I'm sure they'll love it too. Make sure to subscribe so you can hear deep insights into technical leadership and technology trends as they become available. Also, please tell us if there is a topic you would like to hear more about or a technical leader whose brain you would like us to pick. Alphalist is all about helping CTOs getting access to the insights they need to make the best decisions for their company. Please send us suggestions to cto at alphalist.com. Send me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter. After all, the more knowledge we bring to CTOs, the more growth we see in tech. Or as we say in Alphalist, accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth. See you in the next episode.